This episode is supported by Bounty Kitchen, one of my absolute favorite Seattle restaurants. Bounty Kitchen is no joke, an extension of my own kitchen, except that there's so much fresh, local, organic, and tasty stuff on the menu there that it takes me forever to decide what I want. The good news is that you literally can't go wrong. Check out greens, beans, and grains dishes like the braised beef bowl, or dive into the vegan and dairy-free Marrakesh market bowl, or try one of my personal favorites for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the pot liquor bowl. There are also soups, salads, sandwiches, scrambles, and of course, toast, all infused with the deep love and commitment of founder and co-owner and my friend Meg Trainer and her team. Visit Bounty Kitchen at 7 Boston Street in Seattle's Queen Anne neighborhood and check out my interview with Meg from last season of the podcast to learn more about her personal health journey and the inspiration behind Bounty Kitchen. Your body is sending you messages. And my whole life, all the freckles, all the moles, all the new ones, all the changing ones, my body, my skin was shouting and I was completely deaf to it. And so that idea of being able to hear the messages your skin and your body is sending when they are just a whisper rather than shouting, that's the goal. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Laura Dolch, and each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Kira Barr, board-certified dermatologist and founder of the Resilient Health Institute. Kira helps professional and entrepreneurial women revitalize their lives and re-energize their bodies, but her personal path to vibrant health wasn't always easy. We chatted about Kira's personal experience with melanoma, how being bullied and feeling not enough growing up contributed to it, what to look for on your skin and when to get it checked out, and how Kira is shifting her definition of health to include emotional and mental fitness, as well as physical fitness, as she enters midlife. Enjoy the interview. Kira, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to to chat with you. Yeah, I was excited to connect with you through my friend Jill Angelo. I love your work. I love what you're doing. And I especially love the the dermatology angle because I think that it's not a conversation that I've had on this podcast before, even though we all know that our skin is a reflection of our overall wellness. But I thought it was interesting, you know, as I was um, learning more about you on your website, you talk about, you know, the skin being our largest organ and that it's a window and reflection of, you know, as I said, of our overall state of wellness. Can you just say more about that? Yeah. You know, I think most people and even myself, you know, when I went into dermatology, it's like your skin is just there, right? It's just this thing. And and you don't necessarily think about that what's showing up on it really gives a lot of information about what's happening beneath it. And, you know, for instance, when especially women, you know, we think that breaking out in in acne is supposed to stop in your teenage years. And I'm finding, you know, many women in our mid-age were breaking out again. And that really is an invitation to ask the question, why? You know, in traditional dermatology, we are so good at saying, this is what it is. This is how you treat it. And I think where I've evolved because of my own health struggles is then asking the question, forget about like how to treat it. Like, why is it happening? Mm -hmm. And so really looking underneath the hood and exploring what 
could be driving that. And those clues, you know, the acne breakouts, the rashes, it's really your body is sending you messages constantly. And it's really the key is to tune into them and take notice so that you really can take action. Yeah. So, you know, keeping that in mind, like what's different about the way that you work with your patients versus, you know, a a more, I'll just use the word traditional for lack of a better word, uh, dermatology practice. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what I shared is, is a big piece of it is that in traditional practice, it's more very on the surface, even though, you know, dermatology is, is, is this beautiful blend of, you know, we study the basic science. We study that dermatology is the external manifestations of internal disease, but in your seven minute appointments, you don't have the opportunity to really dive deep. And so I've actually walked away from a traditional practice model and and in many ways, I'm more of a health advisor, kind of asking those probing questions. Okay, so this is what's showing up, fine lines, wrinkles, dark circles, acne. What's going on in your life? (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, like, what are you eating? How are you sleeping? How are you living? Because when you're, especially women breaking out in acne in our mid-age, that's a sign that like your hormones may very well be out of balance, that your diet, your gut health, uh, maybe a little out of whack. So really probing into the why, I think is a huge differentiator of being the first questions I'm asking before any prescriptions, any treatment suggestions. So most dermatologists are not doing that right now. Although I have to say that they're definitely, the pendulum is swinging. And I am uh, speaking at the first integrative dermatology symposium that's being offered. So I I'm hoping that a lot of other dermatologists will start to begin to take this approach as well. Yeah, I love that. Well, and to your point, so much of it has to do with the the fact that, yeah, like most physicians in general, not just dermatologists have like, yeah, like 10 minutes with their patients. And it's, yeah. you know, it makes it really, really difficult. I, I actually used to be the marketing director for a um, reproductive medicine clinic. And I, you know, I see that in that. And it's just how difficult it is to to actually connect with a patient and really, you know, understand obviously totally different types of medicine, but similar challenge for the physicians in general. So you're talking about acne and the wrinkles and the dark circles, all of which, you know, women in mid-age can relate to probably all those things. Are there other things that women can look for in terms of their skin to indicate that there might be something else going on as far as overall health? So a big one, and this is one of my favorite topics, not just because it was the focus of my career, did a fellowship in melanoma and skin cancer, but also because of my personal experience. I, I re- definitely became my own worst nightmare that I myself was diagnosed with melanoma. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people appreciate that skin cancer is the most prevalent cancer in the United States. There are more cases diagnosed of skin cancer each year than breast, lung, prostate, any, all, any and all cancers combined. Mm-hmm. Skin cancer outdoes them all. And I think most people don't appreciate it because in most circumstances, skin cancer is not life threatening, but it does alter your quality of life. So people think you just cut it out and forget it. So the whole point of, you know, as we are maturing and looking at our skin, obviously the older we get, there's more time for stuff to accumulate. And that's why uh, my best piece of advice for everybody is to get naked. Um, And, you know, everyone's getting naked anyway on a uh, (laughs) daily basis, but to really be mindful to pick a specific day. And I always say pick the date of your birthday every month 
and you check your birthday suit for any uninvited guests. I love it. So you are really, <laughs> I yeah. love that. So, <laughs> and you are, you know, you know, critically looking at not critic, not being critical of yourself, but I'm saying with a, with a very keen eye, you know, checking yourself over head to toe, all your nooks and crannies between your toes, bottoms of your feet, get your hand mirror, look at all your, you know, intimate bits and pieces, recruit your best friend, significant other to look at the parts that you can't see mm-hmm. so that you can essentially what we're looking for is a spot that stands out from your crowd, really the ugly duckling. And so with regards to melanoma, which is the most deadly skin cancer there is. So it is not as common as the non-melanoma skin cancers, which are basal cell and squamous cell carcinoma, but melanoma is the most deadly and can have the biggest impact on your mortality, Mm -hmm, (laughs) I should say. mm -hmm. So you want to catch it early. So so when we talk about molds and melanoma, you know, really looking at your skin, you're looking for a sore that isn't healing. So a lot of people will say, oh, I've got this pimple on my face uh, and it just, it's been there for six months and it won't go away. Well, let me tell you, that's probably not a pimple. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean that it is skin cancer, but it's something that should be looked at by a dermatologist, a spot that, you know, uh, peels and flakes and, and, and just never goes away. That's another one. And, and those are more in keeping with the non-melanoma skin cancers. But with regards to melanoma, which is derived from the pigment-producing cells in your skin called melanocytes, and the benign form of that is just a mole. You know, most people have like moles or, you know, on their skin. And so a melanoma is a malignant form of that. And so when you're looking at your skin, you're looking for the A, B, C, D, E. And the A stands for asymmetry. So if you have a spot on your skin and you were to cut it down the middle and it's not the same on both sides, make note of that. B is for border. So if you have a spot that is not crisp, sharply demarcated, it's a little blurry edges, there's a little jagged edge, make note of that. C is for color. So we like things that are uniform in color. And uh, if something is different in color than any of your other spots, you want to take note of that. You want to make note of the fact that if it has multiple colors like red, black and brown, most benign things are not multiple, multiple colors. Mm-hmm. Um, D is for diameter, and that's a soft call. Uh, it's usually smaller than a pencil eraser, but melanomas can be all shapes and sizes, so I wouldn't put much weight on that. E is probably the most important, and that stands for evolving, a spot that changes over time. So that's why it's so important to check your skin every single month, take pictures of of the, that's the great thing about smartphones. You can take pictures of them to help track, but don't guess. Like if you are concerned about something, you're not sure, get it checked out. And then when you go to your hairdresser, ask them to check your scalp. When you go to your dentist, ask them to check your mouth. When you go to your optometrist or ophthalmologist, have them check your eyes because melanoma can occur in all these locations. For women, you know, ask your OBGYN on the internal exam to take a light and look in the internal mucosa because melanoma can occur there too. And that's why it's so important to get that hand mirror and look at your intimate bits, look at your front side, look at your back side. It's just skin. Don't be shy. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. Well, and the regularity with what you're saying to check it too. Like I think, you know, for me, that's what's really landing right now because I go in every year to my dermatologist and get a body scan, but that's once a year, you know, and what I'm hearing you say is, no, you got to do it a lot more often than that. Yeah. A lot more often because things change. I mean, just say, similar with um, the self-breast exam. We are mm-hmm. asked to check our boobs once a month. Like, yeah. 
same thing. Like you could do it in the shower, check your boobs, check your skin, you know, like it just got to be part of your routine because you know your body better than anyone else. And that's the other thing I would say, be an advocate for yourself. There are two reasons I always take things off. It bothers me or it bothers the client. And sometimes it bothers them more than it bothers me. And hey, they know their, they know their body better than I do. Mm-hmm. And if you don't mind a scar, then take it off and don't have that overwhelm and the stress and the anxiety of the what if. Like it's, it's just as easy to get a confirmatory cancer. Yeah. And you know, you referenced your sort of personal experience with skin cancer. And one of the other things I thought was interesting about your story and about the way you talk about your work is, you know, helping women feel comfortable in their skin. Can you talk a little bit about your experience growing up of feeling (laughs) uncomfortable in your skin and and how that shaped how you help women now? Oh, absolutely. Um, Because I was completely uncomfortable in my skin. Um, So and, and, you know, looking backward, connecting the dots, going backward, it makes so much sense why I went into dermatology and not just a clinical dermatologist, but being board certified in dermatopathology, studying the skin underneath the surface. So I was born um, with two birthmarks, one on each side of my face. And when I was, you know, very young, I, they were just part of who I was, didn't pay any attention to them. And then I go to school. And this boy walks up to me on the playground and he points at my face and he's like, what are those coffee stains? And I was like, what, what mm. you know, what, what do you mean? You know, and it was devastating. And it was a story that I told myself because ironically, they actually are called cafe a lace spot. So legit, they are. Oh, they literally are like coffee stains. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I did not know that at the time. And I was devastated. And then everyone called me coffee stain face. And I guess that was a form of bullying. And so I quickly figured out that if I could hide those spots, that no one could see them. And so the way to hide them was to get tan. And my dad, even though I've got dark hair, my dad is a redhead. So I burned long before I tanned. But I didn't really care. I I took every opportunity I could to just burn the crap out of myself. And accumulated tons of freckles, hundreds of moles. And it wasn't until I became a dermatologist that I understood that's, that's sun damage and how I had put myself at such significant high risk by sheer number of the moles that I had. I had put myself at risk for melanoma. And sure enough, over the course of a decade, I was getting biopsies every couple of months mm-hmm. um, before growing and changing lesions. Hence, you know, checking your skin on a regular basis. Lozen came back as atypical. And then uh, that fateful day, I'm checking my arm and uh, the spot just looked different and um, had it removed. And now being a dermatopathologist who can look at it underneath the microscope, I had to diagnose it and get confirmation from my colleagues that, yeah, it's melanoma. And um, so thankfully, I, I, I was checking my skin. I was able to catch it early and have it removed, but, um, you know, realized, um, and that, and that was that whole idea of your body is sending you messages Mm -hmm. and my whole life, all the freckles, all the moles, all the new ones, all the changing ones, my body, my skin was shouting and I was completely deaf to it. Yeah. And so that idea of being able to hear the messages your skin and your body is sending when they are just a whisper rather than shouting, that's the goal. And so now, you know, 
the melanoma was just kind of the tip of the iceberg. And then I was running ultra marathons at the time, the stress on my body, I tore my hip, my hormones were out of whack. I was bleeding like uh, crazy. I wound up with endometriosis and fibroid, like shit just hit the fan. My, my health really hit uh, rock bottom. And so as a physician thinking, I knew what I was doing. It is incredibly humbling to realize you don't know what the heck you're doing. <laughs> and you really need yeah. to back it up and really take a whole new approach to your health and your well-being. And because of that experience and because of that extreme discomfort in who I was. So, you know, my interpretation was that if what was on my skin was displeasing to others, then I as a person had to been displeasing and that I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not whatever enough was the running dialogue in my head for forever. And admittedly, you know, it still creeps back every once in a while, but I've done a lot of work around that. And so I work now with women who are stressed, overwhelmed, exhausted, you know, who, who, who is it? And, and really guide them through the process that I had to take myself through and help them be able to build their resilience, to be able to bounce back from whatever challenges that are bringing them down, standing in their way, because I know what it's like and I know how to get to the other side. So, yeah, I think it's, it, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's so interesting too. One of the things I think is so interesting about your story is that just that self-talk about not being good enough and all is, you know, my guess is part of what caused you to sort of reach, you know, the ultra marathons and doing all these things to sort of like, it's sort of like we all kind of hustle for our worth in some way, but in, in doing that, we tend to sometimes ignore the signals that our bodies are sending us, right? Or, or we were never taught to listen to our bodies. I mean, I find that with my clients a lot is that, you know, that's a big piece of, you know, like for example, food cravings is just one example. Like your body's telling you something when you have a craving, like it could be you know, sure, maybe you have a nutritional deficiency, but probably it's more emotional or stress related or something. And so how can you like take that information and make a choice based on the information that your body is sending you, just like what you're talking about and using that to guide your choices instead of just, you know, being like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> or that's normal, you know, feeling yeah. tired and exhausted. That's just part of aging. And yeah, things change as we age. Our hormones do fluctuate, but the feeling crappy, the, the just, you know, the body, you know, deteriorating. That's, that's not necessarily the brain fog and the memory loss. Like that's not necessarily a normal part of aging. That, that is signs and signals and messages like, Hey, you know, uh, maybe we need to take a look at some things and see why this is happening. Again, I think you're, I think you're right. I think it's twofold. I think that we weren't taught uh, listening to your body isn't isn't intuitive, you know. Like if you're hungry, but most of the time, if you're feeling hunger pains, it's usually you're thirsty, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and knowing how to sure. decipher the signals, even if you're tuning in, and to understand what those signals really mean, and you know those cravings. Yeah, a lot of it is we don't want to feel the uncomfortable feelings, and so we buffer. Mm-hmm. So that yearning, like I need a drink, I need a cookie. It's like probably it's like you need to actually deal with whatever that emotion was that you're trying to get away from. And I don't think, uh, you know, I didn't even understand this for so long in terms of the model of, you know, the psychocybernetics, you know, that, that your thoughts really create the feeling that drives the action that determines the outcome that reinforces that thought. And most of us 
are just dealing with feeling, but we don't tie it back to the thought that's driving it and acknowledge and understand and be empowered by the fact that that thought is something that we created, which means that we get to create a new thought. That's right. Which creates a new emotion and a new action. But I think most of us are like, oh, it's, it's happening to us and feel out of control. And I think that is where a lot of the struggle um, comes from. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And for anyone who's interested in digging into that a little bit more, any listeners that I actually interviewed um, uh, Dr. Sasha Hines, who is a developmental psychologist and uh, expert in positive psychology, but she talks a lot about that, exactly what you're saying. I mean, two things, the sort of emotional Novocaine is what she called it of like the numbing, or, you know, <laughs> right? I love that term. That's such a powerful term. And then just, yeah, exactly. The thoughts creating emotions and how we have far more control over that piece of it than we realize that we do. Hi there, it's Lara here. Wanted to take a quick break from the interview to invite you to something. So if you don't know much about me, I'm a personal development and lifestyle coach. I work with women on the rise who want more from their work, life, and body. I'm best known for helping women executives and business owners recapture their vibrant health, momentum, and personal power after 5, 10, 15 years of putting everything and everyone on their list but themselves. They say they feel tired, lazy, lacking in confidence, and they're over it. They often come to me around the time of a big life transition, like starting a business, changing careers, celebrating a big birthday, having kids, getting a divorce, or becoming an empty nester. Since 2011, I've helped these women find the courage and confidence to tackle big personal goals, to ask for the promotion and get it, quit energy draining work and personal commitments without guilt, launch successful businesses, travel solo to Tibet, lose weight with flexibility and fun instead of restriction and deprivation, start dating again, run their first 5k or marathon, nail the presentation at the corporate retreat, and hundreds of other life-changing accomplishments. Together, we bring the focus back to mind and body and form new habits that allow you to reclaim your health, happiness, and power so you can make lasting changes and achieve your big dreams in business and in life. If that sounds like something you could use, I invite you to schedule a no-commitment discovery call with me to explore working together. Visit laradolch.com slash discovery to find a time that works for you. That's laradolch.com slash discovery. I'll talk to you soon. I'm curious at this point in your life, what does being well mean to you personally? Yeah, that's a great question because back in the day, uh, <laughs> being well would have been, you know, uh, physical or financial. It would have been like, you know, I got it covered, like I'm good. And I think now being well is more of on the emotional, spiritual level because I realize that so much of, you know, that all the action and all the, or, or inaction was because of emotional turmoil and unbalance. So for me now, I think being well is really checking in and tuning into the emotional state of mind and making sure that I'm taking care of that so that everything else kind of falls into place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm hearing that a lot more recently from a lot of my guests who, yeah, for the, to a large extent are, are women, you know, sort of entering middle age. And I, it makes me wonder if that's just sort of a natural progression of, you know, getting to this age and having, you know, the realization that this is a part of our lives that maybe we haven't paid as much attention to. Yeah, I think, you know, so many of my friends, so many of my clients, like you get into your mid-age, myself included, I mean, I had a huge transition when I left academics to moving um, to Washington. Like you, in your middle age, you should be at a time where 
you have so much life experience. Um, you, many of it, you know, had careers, you've got families, you should be on top of the world. But so many look in the mirror, they're like, who are you? Like, I don't recognize you. Don't, <laughs> don't know what I want. Don't know who you are. Don't know where I'm going. Because, you know, as women have that maternal instinct, whether you have children or not, you're taking care of others most of the time before you're taking care of yourself. And you put your own needs on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And so that awareness of like, you feel this emotional void, you're sad, you don't, you don't know what's going on. And you realize, oh my God, that piece of me has been buried. And so I think it's a time when we're like, oh, you know, that there's kind of a rediscovery of like, that's the missing link. <laughs> that yeah. is it. Um, yeah. How did you personally start? Like, tell me more about that journey that you had related to that. Like, how did you start to figure that stuff out for yourself? Well, like I said, so uh, when I was diagnosed with melanoma, actually was <laughs> like the same day I was walking out the door for my academic career. I was on faculty at UC Davis and I loved the subject matter of dermatology. I loved working with the residents, but working in an academic center was not the best fit. I was supposed to be part-time, but I was working a full-time schedule, not getting home until midnight, not seeing my kids. And so my dream was to become a stay-at-home mom. And my husband was able to get a wonderful opportunity here in Washington based on our past history. Like we wound up here because of um, my husband was military. We knew some people. They settled here. They said it was gorgeous. You know, it just kind of a wonderful circumstances that just aligned and an opportunity popped up for him and we moved here and I got to be a stay-at-home mom. And at first I was like, this is great for like the first week. And I was like, then (laughs) this is horrible. Like that whole thing of like, who am I? What am I doing with myself? You know, I, I had no structure to my day. And so I started, you know, on my entrepreneurial journey of, I worked with a startup company creating a, it was funny, it was all germ related stuff, creating a, an app for tracking UV exposure over time. I created a, a prototypes for some protective clothing line for children, uh, for everyday wear, which is still something that's on the back burner for me and just started dabbling in all these other things. And so also during this time, my health was deteriorating. You know, the I had been running and, and then tore my hip and had to have major surgery. Then my hormones were out of whack and had to have another surgery. And I think part of this, like the flux, the stress of like not knowing what direction I was going, my health is falling apart and really having to reevaluate everything. And, and that's how I got into kind of more functional integrative wellness is because my doctors kept throwing drugs at me and they weren't working and it was just a pill for an ill and just band-aid. And I realized I need more. So that was the first piece of, you know, really diving into the nutrition and what the lifestyle factors were and realizing a huge piece of that was mindset. Normally you address like nutrition and sleep and exercise. And then you're like, I'll get to the mindset. I'll get to the mindset. But the more I was going through this and not getting the results that I wanted, I realized, oh my God, no, the the mindset piece like that needs to come first. Yeah. Because unless you kind of get your thinking and your, your emotional balance back into better balance, nothing else is going to 
happen <laughs> the way you the way you really want it to happen. And so that was a very long-winded way of saying like I was lost <laughs> and, and I had to find myself and it's still a journey. But realizing how critical the the connection to something and other people, like uh, creating a sense of community, um, how important that really is mm-hmm. to well-being. Yeah. Well, and I, it makes me curious to know now that you've sort of come out the other side of this journey, obviously it's an ongoing journey for all of us, right? But yeah. what daily habits do you think most contribute to your ability to show up for your work and for the people in your life at this point? So. Um, I would like to say that I'm consistent with journaling, but I'm not. I realize oh gosh, I have so many hassle <laughs> so journals. I've got my graduate journal and I do gift that to, to, to people. I think it's very helpful to get into the habit, but that is a habit that, you know, I wake up every morning and I go to bed every night um, with a practice of gratitude and the three things that I'm most grateful for. And it is as simple as like, you know, my husband will get up before me and it's the smell of coffee. It's just, that creating that space to appreciate the here and now and the things that I am so fortunate to experience, even even in the face of like a stressful situation, there's always something that you can find gratitude for and there's a moment of grace. And I think that that has helped me tremendously because I used to definitely have the attitude of, why is this happening to me? Like, why is this happening? This is so bad. And now I can take a step back and say, no, this, this isn't that bad. <laughs> this isn't. And we can figure this out because I can be grateful for this opportunity to rely on myself and realize how capable we all are to troubleshoot. So I think that's been huge for me mm-hmm. as a daily practice. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And even, you know, I think it's important to say, cause you know, as I said, I've sort of given up on the, on the actual practice of journaling and writing that stuff down, which, you know, would be great, but even just sort of, as you said, noting that, you know, mentally just sort of taking a moment to be present with it and actually just noticing it, like even that can be um, pretty powerful uh, for anyone else listening who is like me and can't seem to manage to write it down most of the time. <laughs> For sure. And meditating too. Like I try. And my girlfriend, you know, she's into transcendental meditation. And I'm like, all right, 20 minutes twice a day. I would love to do that, but I'm not sure that I can. But um, I find, you know, for me, exercise is a form of meditation. Sure. Especially I got very into um, Pilates and having to be so present in making sure your breath pattern is on track and your form and, you know, and just being present in the moment for me is a form of meditation. And I think it's helpful for people to, you know, I think people feel so much pressure, like I have to meditate and then it becomes a <laughs> like this stressful thing, but just mm-hmm. finding something that brings you pleasure and joy that allows you to just be totally immersed in that is, um, yeah, I think that is a big piece, you know, in the self-care realm is just taking that time just to do something that you really enjoy and you can be fully immersed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more of a practice of mindfulness, I think, because to your point, meditation, you know, doesn't, it just turns a lot of people off um, or is difficult for them. So I think that's right. Like finding something that brings you into that present moment. There are lots of ways to do that. Is there something that you do that feels like self-care to you, but that doesn't necessarily fall into, you know, wouldn't show up in a book about wellness or, you know, anything like that? Yeah, I, I can think of two things. Um, 
and this might show up in a, in, in a book of wellness, but we have three dogs and my middle, I'd say my middle child, um, <laughs> he's an English cream retriever. <laughs> he's an English cream retriever. So basically a white golden and he doesn't necessarily, he doesn't lick, he doesn't give a lot of love, but he just kind of always sidles up next to you and he just sits there. And when I'm feeling overwhelmed and stressed, I take his, I, I'm, I'm like cupping my hands right now. I, I take his face in my hands and I plant a kiss on the top of his nose where the, his little black nose meets his fur. So I don't have to, in case he's rubbed his nose in anything nasty. <laughs> and, and, and I just, and I just like kiss him and I just hold it there. And it's like, he's just mm-hmm. letting me love on him. And yet I get so much, like I feel so much love from him. It's like, that's my time out. If I can just plant a kiss on Bear's nose, like all is well in the world because he's just being there for me. Mm-hmm. And so that is a huge thing that I do. I don't know if anyone would consider that self-care, but you know, having a pet and loving on your pet is definitely something that uh, has been shown to be incredibly helpful for psychological state of mind. And the other is we're very touchy in our family, like a hug. Mm-hmm. So uh, just reaching out and just whether it's my kids or my husband, like I just need that. And I can just melt into their arms and just kind of just, again, just like let it all go and reset. So, and those things take, you know, like less than 30 seconds. But for me, I found it's that sense of touch and connection that are the most potent forms of self-care for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we probably could all stand to be more mindful of getting our our daily dose of those things. Um, Yeah. And pets, I mean, dogs or any kind of pet are just wonderful. Any pet. Yeah. No offense to the cat people, although I'm not, admittedly, like, I'm sure cats are very good pets, but my mom used to have a cat. And when I went away to college, she took over my bed. So when I came home, she would just hiss at me. So I'm totally, I I have have an (laughs) irrational fear of cats. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've had both, and, and they, they're just different. They're just they're just different pets. Yeah. They're they're both wonderful. So, yeah, as we're kind of wrapping up, I'm gonna um, ask you to tell people where they can learn about you in a minute. But I want to just mention an event that you're speaking at coming up here in Seattle for anyone who is local. It's called the M Event, and it's being hosted by Genev, which is a company that is run by one of my previous podcast guests, Jill Angelo. And the event is specifically for women ages 40 plus and is sort of a gathering of women's health practitioners and women to talk about you know health and midlife and menopause. And so yeah, if, if anyone's interested in that, you can get tickets locally uh, for the to go to the event at eventbrite.com and just search for the M, the letter M event, um, or they're going to do a live stream too. So if you're interested in hearing Kira speak there, then that's a great place to do it. And yeah, Kira, can you tell people where they can learn more about you and your work? Yeah. So um, I'm run the Resilient Health Institute and mostly uh, online. So choose resilient, it's a mouthful. Um, choose resilience.com is the website. And then I'm just getting started more with social media. So on Instagram at Dr. Kira Barr or at Resiliency Blueprint is where people can find me. Awesome. And I'll put those links in the show notes. Oh, and I should mention that the, the M event is on November 10th in Seattle. So forgot to mention that. So, but yeah, I'll put all those links in the show notes. And thank you so much for taking the time here. This is really great. And I, and I, I know it was really helpful for a lot of women. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to share. So I had fun. 
That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. Visit lauridolch.com slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast. It's a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Oh, 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 oh